Welcome to another episode of Embracing Differences with me, Nepen Anand. This week, I speak with a very close friend, Serena Armstrong from New Zealand Institute of Safety Management, also referred to as the NZISM. This podcast is a very personal insight into the life of a person who shares so openly what many of us have experienced but never dared to speak in the open. We talk about how COVID has impacted upon Selena's personal life, her family life, caused her so much trauma, and most importantly, how she gave meaning to her sufferings and experiences and grew out of it so much more resilient. For the first time in the last few months, I felt the need to use the word resilient. There is a lot of humility and vulnerability in this podcast. I hope it will make you think, reflect, and actually do something to change things in your own life. Let's hear it from Selena. It's going to take this where it goes. Isn't that nice? Is That's a, such a wonderful way to start the conversation. Yep. We have no idea where this will go, but let's see. Um, so on that note, I would like to first of all ask you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm the Chief Exec of the New Zealand Institute of Safety Management. Next week, I have been in the role for five years. It's actually the longest job I've ever had. I think I did four years at the Auckland City Council in my early 20s. Um, I did not expect to still be here. I really did not. I was thinking two, three years, and then I'll be out the door and onto something different. Um, but I think with the COVID pandemic, you know, even if I was thinking about going, you, you just can't walk out the door in the middle of something like that. You've got to get everyone through. Um, and then I found at the other end of it, you know, I did get itchy feet there for a while, but then something else came along and piqued my interest. And that's the funny thing with this job is that um, it's just not static. Things are changing and moving, often at a rapid rate. So when you think you're, well, what I'm normally like, I'm, you know, I'm, I really like, uh, I like change, I like implementing change, and I like transformation. Um, but actually what I've discovered is that I don't need to change jobs to be able to be operating within that, because it's happening all the time in this industry and in this organisation. <clears throat> so when I'd normally be looking around, right, what's the next thing? I'm having it fired at me. <laughs> from some other angle sitting in the job and so I think that's probably a lot to do with why I'm still here um, but we've got a really small team it's probably one of the most high functioning teams that I've worked with them there's, uh, there's three teams I can think of in my career that have operated like this and this group um, of women are, are one of them it's the only pure female national office team I've ever worked in but we work really well together um, and yeah, my background, uh, I started out, well, I, actually all I ever wanted to do in my early years was travel the world. I had no career aspirations at all. I just wanted a job that would pay me enough to get to the next destination. And so I, I had all sorts of different jobs from a, um, I did door-to-door -door sales for a while in the, U, in the US. I, um, you know, I've been a barmaid in London. That was probably my most favourite job I've ever had, actually working in the at the George um, just off Oxford Street, loved it. Um, 
but you know I've done all sorts of stuff debt collecting and then I, I finally did my OE got all, all the places almost all the places I wanted to travel came home and worked, started working with Auckland City Council um, and then decided that I really needed to think about what I wanted to do so I was sort of late in the game came in at my mid to late 20s thinking about a career um, and I started out thinking about HR because I loved working with people I think I discovered that as a traveler um, and an explorer you know learning about different cultures and people I was always very intrigued by that um, so I, I started studying HR but I soon quickly understood that actually that wasn't really the fundamentals of what HR were about it was more about uh, the organization it, it wasn't what I thought it was so I changed tact and studied project management and international business um, and I had to go to Australia to finish that and write a, um, a paper on um, on a role that I could get there. I ended up working in the construction industry and being the only woman on a, a site, a construction site with 75 men. So that gave me a lot to write about, actually. Um, that was a, a, a fabulous introduction to um, how I do not want to be in my career. Um, and that is fighting the fight constantly. I thought, no, I want, I don't want to be fought I don't want to fight to hear, be heard. You know, I've got something to offer and I want to work for places that want to listen. And so um, I actually looked at industries where women were taken seriously. And um, I went into telecommunications. <clears throat> so I worked at Telstra in Sydney for a while and, and honed my project management skills working for what was Big Pond then. Um, and they were a small organisation, 20 people, but they ended up becoming massive. And we, we were promised that once we got to 1 million customers, we'd get taken to Fiji. And we did get to 1 million customers, but by the time that happened, there was something like 250 people working there and they weren't prepared to do it. So that was that was entertaining for us early, early starters. Um, but I loved that uh, until I, um, I guess, got exposed to what, you know, corporate culture uh, right across the business. And um, one of the last projects I worked on at Telstra was um, cutting the fat of a business. And, you know, we know the fat sits in people. <laughs> and I was a project manager that really wanted to build things up, not tear them down. And I really struggled with that. I just couldn't. I got through phase one of the project and it just did not align with my values, with my ethics. I, I think that a lot of the practices that were going on were very underhanded and certainly not transparent. Um, there were people that were being, you know, they were trying to get out of the system and they'd been working for them for 30 years and it was because they were on these amazing contracts that they'd, uh, you know, signed up to very early on and these workers had been smart enough to never, ever be shifted off them. And essentially one of the key things was for me was getting in and trying to figure out how to get rid of them. I just couldn't do it. And that's when I had a real awakening about my value system, my job. I kind of already had a little taste of it in the construction industry and what I, I knew what, you know, my boundaries were and what I wanted to work around. But then this was another deeper layer of understanding the how I wanted to work and the sort of work I wanted to be involved in and the people that I wanted to interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. So I cut the cord 
and thought, no, I'm going to do not-for-profits and see where that takes me. Is there a different culture in the not-for-profit system? And I worked for the Institute of Chartered Accountants, um, ran, set up their project office, their national project office, and it absolutely was the right thing to do. It was a massive shift. The culture in there was incredible. They were still a really high-functioning organisation. Um, you know, not-for-profit, not-for-profits often get a bad rep, but um, not if you've got the right people in there. Often I think you have to come in generally with a corporate background. So you kind of get that training of the, the hard work mahi, the work, the work ethic, hard work ethic that is sort of formed in those corporate environments. But then you move into a non-profit environment and you get to take that work ethic with you and apply it into a culture that is really about delivering way more than a bottom line and then you use us surrounded by other people that get that too um, and I loved it I absolutely loved that job I would have been there for a long time but I had uh, and that was one of the most high functioning teams I worked in but we had a suicide in the team and um, we were a small team of four or five of us and it just blew the team up I, we just, we were never the same then because we were all really, really good mates. We socialised together. We were family. And um, I stuck around for a little while. I wanted to run the day it happened and not ever go back, but I stuck around to get kind of us through it, I guess. But I just, I couldn't be there much longer. Um, but then also I ended up having a baby it's a timing all worked for me and I went on maternity leave and the call to home back to New Zealand to Aotearoa was just too strong. So I jumped on a plane and came home and I took a few years out of the workforce. Everyone told me I was mad. I'd never, you'll never get back in it where you started. And, you know, the, these ideas about women leaving the workforce and what happens to you. Well, I took four years out, which was a long time, but I had a husband at the time who did fly and fly out work and so one of us had to be around it was too tough and I decided that would be me because um, I wanted that job anyway um, and I really enjoyed it I was a gift having those for early years with the kids but then um, I wrote myself a list because a friend said to me Selena you've got to get back to work there was a gin and tonic on that bench at 3.30 every day. <laughs> and she said, you're bored, go back to work. So I did. Um, but before I did that, I wrote myself a list what I really wanted. You know, I wanted a project management role. I wanted it to be in leadership. I wanted it to not be a profit-focused uh, organisation. I wanted it to be local. I wanted two days a week. And everyone laughed. All my friends laughed at me. Oh, gosh, you know, You'll never get it. Well, it was the first job I applied for, met all those things, and I got the job working at a good fellow unit, Auckland University, running continuing professional development for GPs in primary health care. They had no money. They didn't even have money, enough money to cover my salary for the year, but I knew, I, you know, I just backed myself. And don't worry, I'll, I'll be able to sort that out. I'll go in and I'll find contracts. I'll, I'll get the money. We'll find the money. And I did which um, was pretty brave at the time. But I think that's what you have to be when you when you want to, when you're very clear about what you want. Um, you have to, have to back yourself to enable others to do the same, really. 
um, and I enjoyed that job. I really did. It was I was there for three or four years, um, but then I needed it. I needed a change, and um, I I walked into NZISM, and it's been an incredible journey. It's my first CEO role, um, and I yeah, it was a it was one of those things where I actually just. I was angry at the time that I changed jobs for various reasons, which I won't get into. And I think it was that anger that got me across the line to actually apply for the job because women, we, we feel like we have to know everything to apply for a job. You know, we don't do the 60-40 rule or even the 80-20 rule. We're like, well, can I meet all those requirements? Do I know how to do everything? But I was angry at the time and I thought, bugger it, I'll figure out what I don't know because I know half of it at least. And I'm pretty sure most of the other people applying for this job won't know how to do all of this. So I'll have a go. And in the meeting, in the interview, um, I just connected really well with everybody. I think because I had already made a decision that the way that I was going to be in my career, in my life completely actually, was authentic. And I know we bandy that around a lot, but um, I like to think I really do live an authentic life. I make hard decisions for myself because of that. And I make those choices aren't always easy, but, um, you know, and I swear like a trooper, which I, I shouldn't do. My kids tell me off. I'm just, I'm just me. I'm just who I am, whether I'm at home, whether I'm at work, or whether I'm at play, you know, I'm, I'm very much myself. And so I went into this organisation with that very clear and I guess who I was resonated with the people that were on the interview panel um, and they took a punt on me too so we we all took a punt on each other and it's worked out actually it's worked out really well yeah I mean that that's my career history to date I guess and in, in a nutshell it's been a good fun journey I've loved it I've loved the variety of jobs I've had you know and and being able to be a CEO now um, and still say being a barmaid was the best job I ever had. You know, that's part of that authenticity, really being aware of what you enjoy and who you are and where you've come from. You know, I, I've been a nanny and cleaned houses and done all sorts of stuff to get myself through university. And, and every single one of those jobs taught me something. Um, and I don't, uh, the, the title chief exec, you know, people sort of, um, get a picture about who you are in their head, I think. Um, I used to be a bit nervous about saying, when people would say, what do you do? And in the first year or two, I was like, oh, I'm a chief exec. You know, I couldn't say it strong and proud. I was a bit nervous. I didn't feel like I fit the job description or the title anyway. But now I'm really comfortable. That's who I am. That's what I do. I mean, it's just a job. Really, it's about... The way I see my job, I actually do work for all the members. That's who I work for. They don't work for me. It's a member organisation, so it's completely different. Um, and I don't know anywhere near as much as half of them do because I'm working in an industry where I am not a trained professional. So you have to be humble. You're dealing with people that know their shit, you know. And I, ha I don't know... Um, the background to health and safety I don't have a qualification in it at all and I have never spoken um, I, without that being very clear 
I know a lot about the profession now. That's a different thing. Um, but I'm certainly not a health and safety practitioner or pro professional, you know. Though that is what my members train to do. Um, and I'm very clear in that distinction. And I think that helps. I found that really awkward in the beginning. And it's that imposter syndrome, you know, that, that we fight with every day. Um, but I'm really clear where my role is now and where my knowledge is. And it is actually about the profession. I know I've learned in five years a lot about it, about where it's going, what it needs, what we should be doing, where it should be pitched, and, and the recognition that our members deserve. But I am not a health and safety practitioner or professional. I'm really clear on that. Yeah. Um. Thank you, Selena. Uh, that's a wonderful and heartful uh, introduction. I have always enjoyed uh, having a conversation with you from the first time we met uh, and the series that we did in New Zealand. I think uh, I, I give your, the example of your moderation and listening skills to a lot of people. So uh, you, you, you kept saying this one thing towards the end that you're not a health and safety professional. Uh, you are, um, and I, I, I think I get it, but I would, I would like to understand from you where you see this distinction between a health and safety professional and an outsider. What does that really mean to you? How, why do you see that distinction? Because I think that there are core technical skills that the health and safety practitioner and professional learn in the job and through qualifications. And I think that I could be considered a leader in the industry, definitely, but I've come in a, at it from a different angle. And I would always defer to a health and safety professional on technical issues related to health and safety because I do not know enough. Um, I think I know how to bring the right people in to solve problems. I'd certainly know how to do that, but I couldn't do this solving on my own. Um, I could do, you know, I could, there's units, so I could really support change management, project management, all of that sort of overarching management stuff. Um, you know, I've been, I've got significant experience in all of that, but that really technical knowledge, you know, I just simply don't have it. That's the distinction for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I'm glad I asked the question. Um, the other thing is that uh, uh, you, well, uh, let me just put this to you. What would you like to talk about? Is there anything particular in mind that you would like to discuss? Well, I think we got, we, we began the, um, talking about this initially because um, I've been on quite a journey the last couple of years Everyone has, right? The whole world has been on a journey. <sighs> Some of us a little bit more um, traumatic than others, I think. Um, in the beginning of COVID, well, halfway through probably, um, I uh, went through a marriage separation. So um, I've been listening to a lot of Esther Perel for those of you out there who've heard of her and she said that COVID has taught us two things about relationships you'll you have either moved forward and formed a stronger bond than anything or you have said enough and got out and I did the latter 
um, and I've got two young kids, um, you know, and all that comes with an uncoupling is difficult. But mine was especially tough um, because I ended up dealing with an ex-husband who um, wouldn't wouldn't move out of the family home, um, wouldn't speak to me really except through lawyers. And we were in lockdown together. So I was trying to juggle running an organisation, being a mum and trying to protect the kids while trying to stay sane in the middle of a what was a re really pretty um, format. It was a battleground, it really was. Um, it was a war zone in this house. And um, I think what, you know, surviving that and coming out the other side of it, I got to really look back on, on a lot of things. And I'm, I've changed a huge amount as a person through that experience. I'm way more in touch with my own thoughts and feelings and how my body reacts to things. Um, but I'm also profoundly aware of how much my team and the, un the, the, the support that I got from my organisation got me through that period. Because there were days where I just couldn't do anything more <clears throat> than um, get the kids through the day and put a meal on, in front of them. Sometimes I couldn't even do that. <laughs> and I had the support of an organisation who said, we, we've got you. You know, my team were incredibly supportive. The board said, just do what you have to do to keep the business running. We'll get through it. Just do the minimum. Do what you can. It doesn't matter. You know, we've got you. And so um, I had this safety net to fall into. Um, it was one less major thing in my life that I didn't have to worry about. A job was secure, even though I knew I couldn't, I couldn't fulfill the role properly. I had no ability to do, to do that for, for a period of time there. I could answer emails. That was about it. I could turn up to team meetings and even then I, I balled through a lot of them and the team were just so incredible at just listening and being there and letting me know that they were there. And we, this was all in lockdown, so you couldn't even couldn't get out and do things. So um, <clears throat> I came through that experience wondering how the hell do people that do not work in an environment like that survive you know I just can't imagine going through what I did and actually having that having the heavy expectation of trying to still operate at that same level and have not have home life not impact on work life it's just not possible there's just no way through it I don't I'd like to meet someone who's done it well and find out how how they did it because I hadn't come across anybody I simply I simply could not imagine it being possible. But what it also did was me being really raw and honest with my team about what was going on, opened up doors for everybody. And we learned a lot about each other through that period. We learned, we learned things we'd never have found out because I'd 
come and talk about what was going on and someone else would say, well, you know what, this is what's going on for me. And it, it just, it laid everything out for us. And it broke down all the barriers. It was just very raw, very real and very humbling. Um, so it was kind of, there's a couple of things, I think. There was the impact that it had on the team but there was the impact that it had on me having that experience, knowing now when you've got somebody that goes through that journey, what you need to do to support them through it. And, um, you know, 50% of marriages won't survive. That's, that's a hell of a lot of people out there going through this. Some will, will have great separations, right, apparently. <laughs> Some of us won't. And so um, that's a lot of people that are going through these experiences. And what, what are what's our knowledge around how to help them? What's our knowledge around best practice in terms of supporting someone through that? I mean, it just doesn't exist. Unless you've been through it, you've got no, no way to know. Because I had no knowledge of this before I went through it. I mean, I'd seen, you know, I've got... Uh, my dad's got four sisters, they've all separated, and most of them have had pretty good separation, so I've seen what good looks like. Um, but I hadn't been immersed in it, and I'd had a friend who was a single mum for years, um, and I, I just never really got what she went through on a weekly basis, just to get the kids out the door and things, you know, and I, I just never appreciated really quite... Um, how, hard, how tough she was doing it. And I just have a very different perspective on all things now, I think. It's been a beautiful gift, actually. Not only have I been gifted this, um, the freedom of my life again and the ability to really reflect on who I am and what I want and to redefine life as it is today for me, which has been something I never thought about, but now I'm just loving um, you know, I've been given that gift, but I've also been given the gift of perspective. Now I can really, I can put my, that, I mean, I always had empathy, but perspective is different. Um, no, I can really see and understand what it's going to take to support somebody through that in a work environment. And when you've got really valuable people that you don't want to lose, You've got to do whatever you can to get them through those tough times. And simply being able to say, do the bare minimum is all you have to do. Get up, answer your emails, deal with major stuff, leave everything else if it's not urgent. Just saying that is incredibly powerful. And how often do we say that to people? I bet we don't say it a, a lot. I bet people don't hear that a lot when things are tough. I'll forever be incredibly grateful for the support and the love. You know, I really felt love and um, from the team, from, you know, from my boss, from, from everybody just offered their support. It was really wonderful. It was a very humbling experience. Um, and as tough as it was, you know, life is really good now. I'm really happy and things are going so bloody well. I'm just, it was... The best thing to do but it was a really tough journey there's still all that guilt tied up and what you have to put your kids through to get there and you know i'll probably never lose that it's always just going to be part of the process but um yeah 
it's there's just been so many lessons that have come out of it for me. I wanted to kind of touch on that, something we just don't talk about at all. Um, and I think it's something we need to think about because with the statistics, you know, there's a lot of people suffering through this it's silence and pain. Indeed, yeah. I, I can never forget, uh, you know, it was about three or four months ago that we had a call scheduled and you know, we just talked about, we just started the conversation and off it came from your end. And I thought, my goodness, um, there's something we need to, to talk. I'm, 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 and I'm glad that you, you, you took the time to talk to me. Uh, it's, it's, Selena, one thing I wanted to ask you, and you, you, you said it, but I, I want you to elaborate on it a little bit. You said, uh, you could feel your body, you know, your body is, uh, uh, is not really coping with it. And I know there's a lot of talk about psychological safety, but tell me a little bit more about the body. You know, what, what experiences did you feel at a bodily level? Mm. Well, the cortisol just streaming through my system on a daily basis, just, you know, um, it was very, I think physically and mentally, I went through a massive metamorphosis. It was a huge, huge transition. And there was not a part of me that was not changed, that did not transition. I shared everything through the process. And um, you know, I've done a lot of yoga. And so um, I'm, I guess I'm fit and healthy and in touch with my body um, and uh, how it feels, how it moves, all that sort of stuff. But um, I think that going through that uh, heightened sense of an constant anxiety, because I really felt like I was in a war zone, there was no ability to relax at all because you had to be very careful about what you said. I couldn't leave my the room with and leave my computer on because he would go through it looking for information. I couldn't be on the phone without somebody, you know, listening into the conversations I was having. So it was really high, high levels of uh, anxiety and stress that I was constantly in. Even, you know, you couldn't sleep, you couldn't relax. He was in the lounge, I was in my room, and you'd hear him, you know, it was just this constant stress. And so your body just shifts up a notch and it doesn't calm down at all. The cortisol levels just are constantly high. And God knows, I reckon I took 10 years off my life, but I gained them back with the freedom. So I'm on an equal footing now, I think. <laughs> um, but you just, you get a sense of it constantly. So I did a lot of yoga as much as I could. I did a lot of walking as much as I could. I really reconnected in with my body and my breath work to try and lower everything as often as I could. Um, and, you know, you, and coffee didn't help, but it helped me in the morning. I would, my parents live at the end of my road. I'm very fortunate. So I would go down to them in the morning. They were part of my bubble and I would have a coffee with them. And then I would go down at the end of the day and have a gin and tonic. And that was kind of the ritual that got me out of the war zone and into a state of, um, well, we, it was a place I could debrief and just rest for a bit. It was a safe space for me. Uh, 
And again, if I didn't have that, I don't know how I'd cope. I mean, I suppose you find a way, but they were amazing, you know, that support that they offered me. Um, but yeah, physically, you're just up, you're up all the time. Those anxiety levels are just through the roof. And you have to try to find any way possible to alleviate that pressure. But it also means that you end up going, becoming, you internalise everything. So I ended up um, just being able to focus on me, which meant the kids kind of had to do their own thing, which, you know, there's all that guilt tied up in that. But I understand very much now that I could only do it that way. I had to get myself through to then go back and bring them through once I'd got myself through. And that, so that's what I did. And I've spoken to a few other people who, you know, they, yeah, they, they get that, they understand that. That was what they could do as well. Um, There's so much to but think. Yeah, so you, you get in so touch, you, you start to recognise your thoughts. You've got to recognise them. I'm just thinking, uh, as you're speaking, you know, what 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 label would you give to this experience? Would it be reasonable to say that this was a traumatic experience for you? Oh, what you went through? Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, and uh, I think the, the question I want to ask is from this experience, uh, because as you very rightly said, a lot of people around the world are going through experiences like this. And I think there is very little, if any, um, awareness and and competence, I would say, in the in the safety world to deal with issues like this. Have you thought about it, Selena? I have. I mean, um, you know, our our roles are broadening in the profession, and psychosocial risks are the most dominant risks most of us have to deal with now, right? And people's well-being in the workplace, how people are managing on a day-to-day -day basis is part of that, whether or not the risk is on the job or at home. Um, and if you've got a workforce that you want to maintain, that you want to keep on board, our role is to get them through life's ups and downs as best we can and in a way that doesn't do more harm and at, at, that's at a minimum. But imagine if we can be a place, a safe space that that person can come that is a harbour for them through those traumatic times because the outcome is you end up with a workforce that are incredibly dedicated loyal and um, engaged that's the end result indeed indeed but but uh, even at a very basic level uh, how do we how do we educate the, the 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 people in this industry to start recognizing trauma you know what is what is it that we are you 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 made a very beautiful statement and I loved it. Is that you cannot make a distinction between home and work? It's impossible to do that. How you know all that all that we are doing those site visits and inspections and audits and we will come across people who are bringing a lot of baggage from home. How do we help people to recognize these things in the first instance, let alone deal with it? 
Well, I think first and foremost, you simply have to know your team. It's getting to know people. You have to create a relationship with the people that you spend time with every day so that you know what's going on for them. You know they've got kids. Is, are they sick kids they're dealing with? You know, they've got, have they got a spouse who's sick? Have they got a parent who's dying? What is going on for that person? Who are they outside of work? And if we know who the people are that we're working with and to like really know them properly, then we'll be privy to all of that stuff naturally because they'll want to talk about it because we're part of their world. I think it's quite simple. Um, we've got um, we've got an approach that we take here in NZISM now when we welcome new people on board and um, it comes from a Māori practice tikang practice um, whereby we get to know the individual and it is really about understanding that first and foremost who are you where do you come from what's important to you um you know what's different about you what don't we know what would you like to share where are your values getting to know all of that stuff as a human being first and foremost and then okay so this is the job and this is how you fit into the team, and this is how you fit into the organisation. But who are you as an individual first? Um, and I love that approach. It's very new. Um, it, it's borrowed from an ancient, ancient practice embedded in Māori culture. Um, and why we haven't been doing this for years, I do not know. But it fundamentally gets down to the very important Fact that we must get to know each other first as people to understand each other and when we can understand what each other are going through and who we, who we are then we become privy to that stuff because we're in their world I think it's that simple I'm not sure that you can do it uh, necessarily easily when you're all coming into sites and don't know everybody but you can certainly do it in a small way people first just who are you you know, this is who I am. Who are you? I want to know who you are. It's not that hard. <laughs> well, it's not that hard, but it's 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 deceptively simple. I, I get it, but and yet so little attention is paid to this one aspect. I I think uh, it's so difficult for most of us to enter into a conversation. Uh, without having some preconceived notions. And I love the way we started this conversation, say, let's see where this goes. That doesn't happen in many conversations, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, I think back to, um, I mean, I as a project manager, and I'm, I'm all about efficiencies, and that's just who I am. I'm very process-orientated. Naturally, that's just who I am. I've got a process for doing everything. You know, stuff gets done around the house in a certain way and quickly, efficiently. Um, and so I've always approached things with that in that way. And it is, does not lead itself 
to building relationships. The relationship stuff comes next, you know, once you get all the other stuff out the way. So I'll kick, I've always done it, I kick off meetings, right? Okay, so this is the agenda, this is what we're gonna do, right? Bing, bing, bong, out the door, done. But now I have learned, slow down. Connect with the people in a room first. I still forget every now and again, because it's not natural for me. Who's in the room? How are we going? What's, what's, where's everyone at? Get that stuff sorted first. Really properly connect. Then move in. I still occasionally forget to introduce myself. You know, it's the first thing I should be doing. But it's a learned behaviour. Um, I have learned to do this because it is not something that I do naturally. And I still pick myself up occasionally when I don't do it. Um, but it's, it's really about taking time to value who you are spending time with so they feel valued and heard and seen. That's all we want, really, as humans, isn't it? <laughs> for people to see us, hear us, understand us, and love us for all of it, you know, ultimately. I think that's it. Beautiful, Selena. I, 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 I can't tell you. It's, it's, it's so many powerful um, uh, things you said. Uh, in today's conversation how would you like to end this conversation um or i think is there more you would like to say sorry well i have got a topic that i'd like to talk about but we'll do it another time let's do it for another podcast is it a long um, one? So I think in terms of ending this, yeah, I can't do it tonight. Yeah, we need to, we'll do it another time. Sure. Um, I think in terms of ending this, um, wrapping it up, um, I, I have been on a tough journey and it has been traumatic, but it's been a beautiful gift. It really has. It's gifted me a whole lot of stuff personally but professionally, I am changed for it. I see my team differently. I look at the organisation who got me through this differently, and I will forever look at the people that I work with differently. Um, and, and I want to know what's going on for them. How can we help them through whatever it is? Because we've all got moments. We, we're all going to have moments in our life that are traumatic. And we don't want to be losing people because of that. Um, there, there's a way through all of it. And it just means that sometimes you have to accept that people can only do the bare minimum every now and again. But they'll pick, it, pick things back up and they'll get back on track. They always do. If you give them the space to take the time that they need. And I think that's been a really big, important lesson for me. Thanks, Nippon. Wonderful. Is there anything else you would like to say before we end? No, I've enjoyed chatting to you. I always enjoy our conversations. They're always, they've always been enlightening. I'm, I'm just so very pleased that we met. Wow, what an authentic conversation it was. What did you think? If you have listened to it carefully, Selena used the word gift so many times in this conversation. 
So as a listener, we must ask about things, about words that repeat and repeat consistently because what that means is that the unconscious of the other person is trying to tell us something. And I'm glad I did because I wrote back to her to ask Selena, what what was gift? Can you please elaborate on that? And this is what she responded in the email. She says, the gift has been many things, but primarily the ability to rewrite my story, to reimagine the life I want, and to live it and to create the sort of relationships that I want, I both want and deserve, which was not possible previously. I had been living half of the life I wanted, and now I'm able to fulfill my potential. That's powerful. My old friends say that they are reconnecting with the Selena they met when I was 16, crazy and full of laughter, with the light in my eyes of a future unlimited, but smarter, stronger and wiser. This is just how I feel, this incredible sense of freedom and possibility. The other gift has been seeing how when we are raw and honest and vulnerable with people, that it allows them to be the same and create incredibly deep and profound connections. I'm comfortable telling my story, sometimes to strangers, allowing people to really see me. While I always knew this creates great outcomes, and I tried to be authentic in all I did, this is another level. Being able to live it and be so comfortable being so close to truth with others is so powerful. It actually makes you feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And I'm not sure I ever saw that gift coming. What beautiful metaphors. Of course, these are there are moments of self-doubt and pain and guilt and all other emotions, but you can't have the great stuff without the tough stuff too. And lastly, the relationship I have with my daughter now is really special. They see me as Selena as well as mum. They have seen that I can't do it all and that I have limits and moments where I need help and support and their love. And I think that often doesn't happen until your kids are adults. It's meant we are all able to be really vulnerable with each other and that is a beautiful gift to them and to myself. I could go on and on. The gifts are many. But those are really the top ones. I'm so glad I asked her about this idea of what she meant by gift. Another thing I found interesting about this podcast was to be careful not to draw the line between work and personal lives. Stop asking people to get professional or at least become aware of what that really means. You know, people bring so much baggage with them when they come to work. It's pointless telling people that leave that personal stuff behind. It's not possible. I also love the question that she said, she asked, and I'll repeat that verbatim. Who are you? Where do you come from? What's important to you? You know what's different about you. What don't we know about you? What would you like to share about you? Where are your values? It's so important when you bring in a new person to your organization that before handing them a job description, you get to at least know them. Something that is sadly missing in most organizations. And the most important thing I took away from this podcast was the importance of being yourself and showing your vulnerable side to your people. You know, we have a certain view about CEOs, CFOs, board members. 
as high performing all too powerful successful result oriented non negotiable mechanistic humans but selena when she offered her vulnerable side sends a very different message my pains my sufferings my life is no different from others and so when we speak authentically and open about our lives others will also come close to us they see in us what they are experiencing in their own lives instead of creating that divide between us as just common people and them as the heroes the ceos the most successful people in the world and so on and so i thought it would be so nice to call this podcast or to give it the title leading in with sorry leading with vulnerability and i hope that you will enjoy listening to it thank you for listening to embracing differences and i'm your host nepin anand if you'd like to know more about me and about my work at novelis you can visit us at novelis.solutions thank you and have a good day ahead